Hello, and welcome to Cultural Conversations with the International Hub. We are committed to helping you navigate global business. Throughout this series, we will have conversations with global business professionals and experts. Hello, everyone. My name is Dylan Pappenfuss, and I will be interviewing Erjan Olson. Erjan, will you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Hi. Pleasure to be here and speak to you, Dylan, from across the globe, from Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Örjan Olsson, 40 years old, uh, working for a joint venture here in between Universal and Sony Pictures. Wife and kids and a pretty normal guy, actually, but uh, who's enjoying life here in, the, here in the Nordic areas. A guy who really likes entertainment and, and, uh, and doing business very competitive and uh, I guess it's some of my trades um, so uh, yeah that that's uh, mean mean in a nutshell excellent thank you can you just provide us the audience with a brief timeline of your career so yeah well my I've, I've been around the retail uh, for my my entire career starting to work in uh, uh, in a sports shop actually well even before that I worked in a hypermarket I started working when I was very young I was about 13 14. And started to work regularly uh, after school, uh, so basically always been working and believing in in working hard. And from there, I went into a sports shop, starting to sell sports equipment. I really enjoyed that. And from there, starting to work as a sales rep, was out on the roads, visiting stores, doing merchandising uh, and uh, field sales. Uh, and that's where I came in contact with uh, Microsoft for the first time. I was. Uh, a sales rep for the southern part of Sweden uh, through, uh, through a field marketing agency. Worked for them and uh, eventually started to work with uh, more clients, helping them with, uh, with uh, sales rep activities and field marketing activities, uh, merchandising and so forth. Until I eventually one of my clients who was uh, Atari, which uh, everybody knows about the founder of uh, TV or computer games, um, asked me to join their team. So I did that as a sales manager, eventually first for Sweden and then Sweden and Norway. I was there for a while, about two years, and then uh, Microsoft contacted me again. Uh, I had a very good boss there. And uh, so he asked me if it was time to come back. I went back to Microsoft and held a couple of different positions there uh, within some business development and channel development account and in the end I was working across uh, EMEA or as a global account manager it was called uh, on the Xbox side so uh, always versus retail and from there I uh, I landed at the Universal and then into this joint venture so in 60 seconds my, my career so to say. It's a uh, very far-reaching it's fascinating thank you so let's talk about uh, what was it like being the uh, EMEA uh, global account manager. Yeah, so that was a very interesting position. Uh, it was it was uh, focused on. They had a couple of global account managers, and it was based on on the account. So I was handling GameStop, which uh, mm-hmm. all of you in the U.S. obviously knows. So uh, basically, it was GameStop outside of North America to coordinate and work to create added added value for this region. Um, one thing that was interesting, though, with this was that the other territories did not report uh, as a direct line into me, but I was the, the one who was going to coordinate all the activities that was being done in the regions. With that said, I had to influence them 
and try to get them to um, follow the program. But at the same time, they had their local managing directors or their local objectives as well as there was an EMEA objective. So in that sense, it was, it was very much trying to always find the added value and a reason for, uh, for them to follow the, the EMEA program more than the local program. So uh, it was, it was, uh, there, there was a couple of uh, global account managers. So it was for MediaMarkt, it was for the GameStop, and it was for Carrefour, and, and a couple of like, global big accounts that was, that was doing this. So, uh, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, especially the cultural parts where you, where you get to work with many different international territories and the differences in, uh, within retail and how you can learn from each other. So I thoroughly enjoyed that that position. That's fascinating. Um, you just mentioned uh, the differences in culture and how you had to navigate that. Can you can you uh, delve into that a little bit more? Yes. Uh, well, the way you do business down in Italy and and or Ireland or or Spain or or uh, Germany and and Sweden is very different. Uh, it's very different in the way that how um, you know people honor agreements, commitments. Uh, how um, uh, also the positioning of like if you're a big player or a small player because like in this instance Xbox could be you know the uh, the top platform in one country but it could be the bottom platform in another country and the way that you have to deal with that in the marketplaces are then very differently mm-hmm. uh, then then obviously the whole cultures about how you uh, how you go to market, uh, what what the strings to play on, so to say, when you take products to market is very, very different. And it's also very different on the authorities, like how to listen to authorities, so to say. Either in some markets, it could, if your boss doesn't tell you to do that, you don't do it. And in some markets, it's more about, you know, driving it yourself. So it's very interesting to see uh, the the cultural differences. But then also you, you need to understand sometimes it's more about the person than maybe the big culture. So you have to be careful so you don't say that everybody in, in Spain is like this or everybody in, in Sweden are like this because sometimes it's the person rather than the culture. But there are different cultural differences. Yeah, we see it, see it even in, uh, in the Nordic countries, uh, Sweden, Finland, Norway and Denmark. There's big differences between the... Uh, the countries in in Finland they speak less, in Sweden we speak more. Negotiating with a Danish person is very different than negotiating with someone in in Norway. So there are cultural differences even like in the smaller regions as well. That's fascinating. Um, could you talk a little bit more about uh, the differences in business between uh, the Nordic countries? I think in the United States we just kind of view the Nordic countries as uh, one in the same. Yeah, yeah, I, we 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 get that a lot, <laughs> and I, I've I've been working with uh, like like you we spoke about in a, in a, uh, American companies for quite some time, and and um, you you kind of tend to to try to explain that a couple of times. The Nordic countries are are a complicated market, uh, based on that it's four different currencies, and you know the FX is moving all the time. So uh, it's the euro in Finland. You have a Swedish krona in Sweden, Danish krona in Denmark, and Norwegian krona in Norway. And these are always moving. So, so that's, that's to start with. It's four different 
languages. So whenever you do any marketing material or consumer material, you have to decide, should we do it in English, like to do it general, but then it doesn't speak to you locally, or then it's very expensive to do it in four languages. So that's just the tip of the iceberg, really, because then you get down to the cultural differences. Denmark is closer to the continent in Europe, closer to Germany, and they're a bit more very influenced from the from the continent and the way they're very direct uh, and and their negotiation style is, is is kind of very upfront. If you go to Finland, that is closer to Russia, and it has influences between you know a lot of influences from Sweden and the eastern part of Europe, from that sense. So and they're a bit more quiet. So they act based on that. And then we got the Norwegians. That's the the happy people. Everything is always happy. Uh, we, we have some sayings in Sweden where it's like it's, you, you can't say anything negative in, in Norway because it just sounds positive no matter what you say. Uh, uh, the language is just happy. So to negotiate with Norwegians is that it's kind of like you, you agree on something, but then when you go home, they, they kind of forget about it. But they always want to be nice to you so they wouldn't say it to your face while they're in Denmark. They just say it straight up. Uh, so very, very different there. But uh, so not only kind of like the, the currencies also to add to the another layer is that Norway is not part of the European Union, which means that you have other trading rules in Norway than you have in the other three countries. So that's some of the complexity that you have to navigate even in a smaller market trying to oversee just the, the Nordics. Wow, that's a lot. Um just an add in here. I remember when I was living in Sweden and you'd buy a box of cereal and the nutrition information is in three different languages. Yeah. Cause same. Like you don't want to, you want to use the same box for all three countries. You don't want to, you know, just manufacture one box that you can only use in one country because volume, you want to negotiate costs. So as much as we do, and we do that here as well. So if, if you'll take a product like a, a Blu-ray or a movie, and you turn that around, you, you'll have four different languages on that, uh, uh, on the synopsis, rather than having, you know, one per country. So, uh, yes, we try to do be as efficient as possible. So I, I've been reading like Finnish milk boxes uh, for your entire life, and I don't speak a word of Finnish. <laughs> it's very true. Um, when you're printing those synopsis, are there ever any mistakes made from a translation perspective? Yes, there, there, there is uh, qu- quite a bit. They could be, uh, you know, we had uh, within the business here, somebody who sent over, they made a Google Translate. They were going to launch a new product and they, uh, and they just sent it over and said, we were going to go with this. And if they would have gone like that, it would have been like a three-year-old would have written it. Uh, so sometimes it's good to have people in territories to actually take a look at things. And uh, so it does happen. Not very often that it happens in the way that you write something that means something totally inappropriate or something like that, but rather that it's not grammatically well said, so to say. You know, somebody's used Google Translate and they just slapped it on there. That happens. Wow, that's interesting. Something that we never even think about in the U.S. Let's talk about how you ended up at Universal. Um, Then let's uh, get into the joint venture and how... uh, that's impacted you. Uh, so I, uh, I was uh, when, as I worked at Microsoft, I, uh, I was contacted by a um, by a headhunter from London, 
who had actually first contacted uh, my old boss, Microsoft, and he passed it on to me. And I met with the headhunter and uh, went from uh, interview to interview. I did a, a total of 11 interviews for the job at, at Universal. I, I think the, the defining factor was actually the, the managing director that I met uh, at Universal uh, at that time in, in the process uh, that I got a lot of confidence for and who was a person that I really wanted to work for and, and, and felt that I could learn a lot from. And so I think that was kind of like my absolutely defining thing in the end. And um, other than some, some development things that I, that I saw as well. But, but really to have a, the person you work for means so much from that perspective. So I really wanted to see what I could learn from him. Uh, so I went over, we worked together for about two and a half, three years uh, before a joint venture was created between Universal and Sony Pictures which I'm now working in then. Uh, and that was formed due to um, being able to create uh, more leverage, basically, of two big companies coming together and using each other's resources to create something bigger. And I started there as a commercial director and did that for about a year and a half. Um, and then after that, I was uh, asked by, uh, by the board if I would uh, be able to take over as general manager then and to run the company uh, for the Nordics. And uh, so I, I did that. And then about a year after that, we also uh, got the opportunity to oversee the Baltics. So Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. So that is also under the remit that, uh, as we speak. That's interesting. We don't really uh, think that much about the Baltic state over here in the US. Can you tell me a little bit what it's like uh, managing the operations there? Yes. Um, that is, uh, again, very, very different from any of the other four countries that we are dealing with. So now we're up to seven countries here in a very small region. And the operation in Baltics, from my perspective, is, 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 is not huge. It's pretty small, uh, but still very interesting. It's, uh, when you get to the, to the major cities, it's kind of like what you would expect of a major city in a little bit of Eastern Europe. The interesting part starts when you get like 15, 20 minutes outside of the main city and where it, it, it uh, really reminds you of what you thought it would look like if you go into Russia. And since it's very, uh, used to be uh, the Soviet Union, it's very, very influenced by that. From our perspective, for instance, we have to have Russian language on it because so many people still speak uh, Russian. So we, from a language perspective, you know, you have to have Estonian, you have to have Russian, Latvian, and so, so that adds to the whole mix of languages. So when we make a, when we make a product, when we make a, a movie here and to subtitle, we're looking at like seven, eight languages to put on it uh, to just, just for our small territories. The difference in making business there, again, is uh, we have to have somebody who understands the local market. From a Stockholm perspective, we can never make it justice to do the business in the Baltics. So we have, we have partners that is in territory that understand the local market and a partner that we feel that we can trust. So when we went in there or when we took it over from here, we met with multiple partners and, and basically decided on the one that we felt we could, could trust and work closest with. Because you just have to have somebody locally. Otherwise, you, you can't really do it justice and you can't really get, out, get the value out of it that you want to. That's fascinating. Um, would you... Uh briefly touch on the uh, the cultural aspects of 
uh, the Baltic states and working with them? Well, I guess it's a bit more Eastern European than, than Finland is. It's different because uh, consumers spend uh, and people is not making as much money, obviously, as people are, or have as much money to spend as they are in, in, uh, in our region of, in the Nordics. Uh, so you just have to be very careful on how, how you are portraying things and how you are uh, marketing things because it's, it's a different, uh, their choice of spending might impact them more than it does for us. Cultural-wise, it's easier to get a bit stitched up. Uh, we definitely got, uh, got a sense of that. Uh, we, we, made, uh, we, uh, we had agreements, but they were not held, so we definitely had to pay quite a bit of a price for that. So I have never experienced that uh, in any of the Nordic territories where people generally try to honor contracts. Uh, well, my first experiences in the Baltics was that uh, they, were, they did not honor the contract in the same way. The same thing with like payments and things like that. It just seems like if you can take the, ad the advantage on anything, you absolutely do that. It's not the same, I want to do what's right. Yeah, I guess that's one, one of the main things that, that, that we have picked up as, as doing business. You have to be very careful who you do business with and who you trust. That's, uh, that's really insightful. Thank you. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on into the uh, back half of the interview. And let's talk about let's talk about some of the day-to-day uh, -day stuff in Sweden. Um, what is it like to be a manager in Sweden? Uh, what does the interaction look like with uh, with like direct reports, for example? The day-to-day -day with direct reports. Um... Yeah. You know, we look at Sweden and the U.S. as just this very egalitarian culture where everyone. Um, is able to voice what they think. Um, they can be very direct with the boss. Um, tell me what that's like. Let's talk mainly about Sweden then, because that's my. Yes. As I um, yeah, as yes. I am Swedish, I guess that will be the most just make its most justice. Swedes generally don't like com uh, confrontations and conflicts. We like everybody. Everybody should agree on basically everything. And it's very, it's very hard to, for a manager or a boss to be too direct. It's rather, uh, are you okay with this? How do you feel about it? Uh, would you agree on this? And we like to build consensus. It's, we want everybody. The group is more important than the individual. And that also goes for it in management in many ways. Uh, that it's it it can be hard to be too direct. Um, we we generally talk about you know maybe the U.S. leader looking at the U.S. It seems like it's a, a tougher working environment than we are used to, and and even in the U.K. as a work versus the U.K. It's a tougher environment. Um, here it's a, it's a bit uh, more consideration is is being taken to the group and how people are feeling about it. Uh, so, so I think that is one of the traits and you, that you have to be conscious about as you work with Swedes, uh, that you have to look for the group uh, kind of like behavior more than the individual behavior in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, that has changed over the years as more international businesses and 
more more and more people is moving around and and is making the you know working in other countries and so forth. But it's still a big uh, it's still a big thing. And talking to international colleagues, um, they they always confirm that picture of Sweden that it always needs to be a consensus around everything before taking a decision for good and bad. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, I guess, how does that impact your ability to lead, um, to, to communicate your vision for how things should be going? Yeah, I think you, you, uh, you have to work with it in the way that, uh, uh, the way I picture it, maybe in, in, in a market where people are even more direct, they would, the, maybe the manager or the boss would stand up and just like point out the direction and here we're going and, and try to get people with them. Here it's a little bit more of a lobbying. You start with kind of like the, you know, the, whole, the whole management team, you talk to them, and you talk to middle management and you, know, you get everybody around it and then you start forming like circle by circle, you get everybody with it and then when you present, you already know that everybody's with you on the journey. So from, from my perspective, it's, it's, you have to anchor it very early to get uh, more people with you on the journey rather than just standing up and just point the direction and now we're going. Uh, in a way, I guess that's good because it gets deeper into the organization. People feel ownership uh, for the strategy, the visions or whatever the boss might have if it's anchored within the organization. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing, maybe. It might be too extreme at times where basically everybody in the organization feels that they should have equal insights because this is a group exercise where I sometimes feel that maybe some things are just management and some things should be for everybody. Mm -hmm. But uh, the notion is in general that everybody is entitled to everything, so to say. That's really interesting. Um, and like you said, it's a big difference from how we do it in the U.S. Let's shift gears here to uh, Safika. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you kind of explain what three that is? At three o'clock. People will be done. So fika is when people uh, people have a, a cup of coffee or something to drink together with like a cinnamon roll or a bun or something like that. But it's something very rooted in in our uh, in our culture. And uh, at least once twice a day, you should have a fika. And the people basically stand up from the working places and they go down to the mutual area. And they have a fika for 15 minutes. And it's very, very Swedish. And, and, and as you lived in Sweden, uh, you've seen people, you should always have a, a fika. Um, so uh, it's, it, that is culture. <laughs> that is very much culture. And it's fun to have people here from, from uh, across the seas. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's sitting and having a fika in the, in the mutual area for 15 minutes. And that doesn't happen in, in many other working places, but uh, across Sweden, for sure. And uh, in many working places, they, it's a set time, uh, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, where people go and have their fika and sit down for 15 minutes. That's interesting, um, because in the United States, we are, we are obsessed with productivity. We would view fika as kind of this uh, productivity killer, but what are the benefits you, of fika? Well, I guess it's uh, people come together in a way. You know, you get to you you kind of get to know each other a little bit. You know, you're leaving the leaving the screen, thinking about other things. You start talking about the the family, the kids, the football game yesterday. You know, the uh, the the soccer game tomorrow, and 
uh, things like that. And uh, it's, it's uh, I don't really know what the, the benefits of it, but I can see that it's, it's good for people to actually stand up, you know, walk away from the desk, clear the head a little bit and come back to pick it up. Um, I think it's, it's even more rooted in some of the more like construction work and, and people working really hard. They have very set fikas because so they work and then they know it's a break and then they work and then they know it's a break. But it's, I, it, within the office environment, it's the same thing that people do have their fika. But uh, I don't really know the difference, to be honest. Like, yeah. how, how is it without fika? <laughs> I mean, from my experience, we just work. And, uh, <laughs> and then we eat lunch and then we go home. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I mean, the focus is on building relationships, um, at least what I gather from Fika. Um, and it yeah. seems like that would have po- positive benefits on em- employee morale. The group comes together. Again, it's very much about the group. It's, it's very much about the... The group rather than the individual like if you go into just productivity it's about you producing producing here it's about the group the group behavior uh, and for for uh, now everybody have the fika at the same time it would be very easy to say like you know you have your cup of coffee like whenever but it's more fun if everybody do it at the same time at the same time and the group can do it together and now we work together now everybody works and, and that is also something in our culture that's called Jantelagen, which you've probably heard of many times. And basically Jantelagen is something that is rooted in our DNA in Sweden, where you, you should never think that you're more than someone else. Uh, anyone who's trying to think or stand out and think that you're more than someone else, it's not looked good upon. And that is very un-Swedish. Uh, don't try to separate yourself from the group. And that is what, what, what we define as jantelagen. Uh, and, and so all that is part of our kind of like culture DNA. That's fascinating. Um, kind of staying on jantelagen, um, in Sweden, uh, bosses have a reputation for not dressing as formally as they would necessarily in the U.S. Um, do you think jantelagen has, uh, is an explanation for that? It might, it might have a little bit on, of, of that. I think that uh, just, it, I think it's uh, basically, uh, it's not a lot of businesses in Sweden. Or I, you don't see a lot of ties outside of the finance sector. Um, like it's very, it's, it's much more informal dress, a dress code uh, just in average here than I would, than I see basically in the US and the UK at least. Uh, but I'm not sure how much it has to do with Jantelagen, but it might it, it might be. Uh, it's just it's just uh, less of an informal dress, but it might be that you don't want to stick out too yeah. much. And with your clothes showing that you are the boss, no, you wouldn't do that. You you, you dress like all the other workers because you're, you're part of the group. That's interesting. Um, so let's talk about the Swedish semester. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's it yes. like? <laughs> well, the country closes down for uh, about a month uh, or a bit more. The whole month of July is uh, basically the country closes down. And I guess it goes back to the industrial era where the factories, it was, it was too expensive to kind of like uh, to have them, um, you know, in, in, in shifts or, or, or not producing. So what they did is that they, they said, 
it's even called the industrial uh, uh, holiday. So the factory is basically closed and uh, from midsummer or end of June, and then they were closed during by, uh, and then they every all the workers came back and they started to produce again in August. And I guess this was some kind of effectiveness or some kind of a way to, uh, yeah, somebody must have thought that this was the best way to do it. So, and this is a heritage that we have, and also because we don't have a lot of summer months, we like to use that time as effective as possible. Uh, so basically, July people are off. It's impossible to get hold of, you know, customers, clients, uh, you know, vendors. So uh, most people have holidays for at least uh, four weeks during July. And it's actually in the law that the employer, the employer uh, should give and have to give the employee four weeks consecutive holidays during uh, the months of June, July or August. Uh, so during the three summer months, it's it, the employer's responsibility is to make sure that the employee has four weeks of holiday. That is interesting. That's that's a lot from the U.S. perspective. Um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. the U.S. shutting down for an entire month at a time. <laughs> no. Uh, and being in an international environment, that is always something to juggle with, obviously, you know, that, because everybody's used to that they want to be off during July, but then obviously, like you say, the U.S. doesn't close down or the U.K. and others. So therefore, working in international sphere, uh, that makes it a bit different. So from my perspective, I, ha- um, I, ha- I never had four weeks during July because it doesn't work like that. So it's not all sweets, but the majority has that. And, and uh, uh, But depending on what level you work on and in what business you work in, it's not always possible, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it is in the law. And, and it's also the law is that um, every employee has um, five weeks of holiday every year. So you have to give that as an employer. Interesting. Uh, and, four, and four of those they are entitled to, to have during the summer, uh, consecutive during the summer months. That's interesting. Um, shifting gears here, from, from your perspective, how do you define success? Well, it has shifted a little bit as you grow year by year. You define success a bit different. I think where I am at the moment, probably 10 years ago, I would have defined it more in, in dollars uh, and, and in health and in dollars probably. I think now success is for me time uh, and uh, it, it's getting out of the what we sometimes or what I would refer to as the rat race. You know, kind of like, you know, uh, paying the mortgages, going up early, work out, kind of like to, 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 to decide over your own time, to have the freedom to decide over your own time. I think that would be what I would measure to be a success. Uh, if you're at that point uh, where you decide, you have a total control over your life, uh, that's when you are very, very successful. And you can do that by... It's very popular, you know, to scale down and, and you know, to, uh, to do that. But, but just, just the, the, the feeling or, or the, the notion of being, being free, uh, that is probably what I would call success. That's fascinating. Thank you. Um, what are the traits that the ideal employee possesses in Sweden? Critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
needs to be to kind of like say, why are we doing this? From my perspective, well, uh, not just do something because you always done it. Um, Swedes uh, loyalty, uh, very loyal. I would say uh, it's it's a good uh, treat. Yeah, loyalty and critical thinking, and then to be open-minded for change. Uh, it it goes so quickly. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You know, the next year never looks like the last year, and you just have to be open-minded to work and navigate through those changes. So I think that would be three really great attributes and, and things that, that I would look for in a, in a good employee um, anywhere, to be honest. Thank you. That, um, that was really helpful. Um, and then last questions. What mistakes do business people make when they come to Sweden? And then what advice would you give people to, uh, you know, to best conduct business in Sweden? Well, uh, for re- really good questions. For, first and, and, uh, and foremost, it's uh, don't, don't think of Sweden as the Nordics and the opposite, as we already touched on. That is basically one of the biggest kind of like... Uh, mistakes you can do because if you start doing that people's like well this guy hasn't done his research and like and this is not going to give me anything so you have to be clear of sweden is sweden and don't start by saying that i thought that there were polar bears walking on the streets it's kind of like do your research a little bit uh you know it's 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 a it's a big country there there's snow in some parts and not snow in some other parts so when people come and haven't done the really the research on sweden i think that goes in as a general advice to come here and kind of like you know thinking there are polar bears walking on the streets or and you know that and and yes this is a country where we have snow but we don't have it all the time and and not even during winter time we have it all over the, the country. So you just have to do your research. Uh, when people come into a new territory, no matter if you come to Sweden or somewhere else, you just have to do your research uh, to get some credibility. Otherwise, people stop listening to you really quickly. So that's one of the first things. The other thing is you, you have to understand uh, Jante Lagen. Um, my previous boss here, he, he was uh, from another country, uh, from South Africa even. And I remember when he again, uh, like two or three years uh, after we were some international visitors we had, and he said, and he said, not until I understood Jantelagen, I could really, you know, understand the Swedes. And I think it's something to that point that you have to understand this kind of like a group before the individual behavior kind of thing. And so, so that is uh, that is one of the advices I would give if anyone would would want to do business in Sweden. The other thing is that though we are very very loyal to the people that are kind of loyal and treat us well. So you generally you get a friend for life uh, as you do good business with, with Swedes. That's really insightful. Thank you. Rian, this has been incredibly helpful. I'm glad I'm glad I could uh, be of maybe of some assistance. Uh, we have some ups and we have some downs like everywhere else, but it's a very interesting market to be in. So I hope to see you sometime in, in Sweden again and making business with you. I hope so as well. Well, that's all for now. For more information about global business and culture, visit www.internationalhub.org and be sure to subscribe to Cultural Conversations with International Hub. Thank you.